So we started a few weeks ago, I believe this will be our third week, in a, a break of, of Matthew and to look at, uh, spend some time looking at the glory of God, specifically the glory of God in the church. I mentioned last week that this series is basically digging and digging and digging into Ephesians 3.21, which says, To Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Um, the hope I have in this series is to elevate these two, these two topics, these two themes before you individually and collectively, or I'm going to start using a word a lot, I probably already have in the last couple weeks, corporately. And when I say corporately, I mean us together. So there's the there's us as individual Christians, and then there is us corporately. And so the hope is that as you understand the glory of God on an individual level, that we understand that it is inseparable. We cannot separate the glory of God to us individually away from us collectively. And what is that? That's the church. To Him be glory in the church. I, it's, I know that's self, self-evident, but we live in a time where I've said over and over again that we become lone wolf Christians, individual Christians, and we don't understand that God is doing something corporately. Corporately. We're not going to have our own room. As much as we think that we're going to be able to lock ourselves in our own mansion in heaven, the reality is is that we will be together forever. Yeah, amen. That's okay. It's all right. So I hope I hope this this series does those two things: elevates your understanding of the glory of God and the glory of God in the church. Now I also want to say this. This series, these sermons are, they're meat, okay? They're solid food. Um, Because these two topics aren't just, it's just not kids' Sunday school material. And it's really hard, it's really hard to just oversimplify these topics. And especially as they come together. Um, You know, Hebrews 5 into six, uh, the author of Hebrews gives warning about those who are unable to grow spiritually and mature in, in their spiritual maturity into going from milk to solid food. And uh, I, I, and Paul does it as well. I think in First Corinthians three, he gets onto them and he's like, "I need to be feeding you solid food. I need to be giving you meat, but I can't get away from this milk. I'm just, I'm just having to give you this milk." And what I want you to understand is that is the progression that we ought to be taking. I'm going to be I'm going to be here as your pastor for almost three years now, come January, and it would be a failure of my own not to hopefully be leading you progressively, laying the foundation, but then not continuing to lay a foundation as the writer of Hebrews five says, but building upon it, right. Uh, Serving up steak, because that's if you just lived on milk the rest of your life, you're going to be feeble, you're going to be weak, you're going to be vulnerable. But here's also what I want to say. If in this series, as I just feed you from the, the uh, fire hydrant, per se, if you feel like you're falling somewhere, you're not keeping up or you're missing something, Maybe you do. You're like, I just, I just need your, I just need the milk. Come and tell me. Let me sit down with you. Let me. That's what. I, that's what I'm. That's what I'm supposed to do. A shepherd has little lambs and grown ewes, and a shepherd has to be able to take care of both. And so, if you feel as if you're falling back in a series like this, do not be proud. Come to me. Text me, call me, and say, help me with this. 
and I will do whatever we can. I, and I'm not going to put you in front of the church and say, okay, so-and-so's lagging. No, I want to be there to bring you up to help you grow in the scriptures and start chewing on the solid foods. This was Jesus' expectation when he said, I'm going to give you my spirit. Because he told the disciples, you can't handle this now. All the things I want to tell you, you can't handle, but you will. When I give you the helper, I'm then, you're then going to grow. You're then going to take on more. So that's, that's what I want us to understand. And if also if you need some spiritual growth or understanding, I highly recommend the men's meeting and the women's fellowship. Because those aren't Bible studies per se, but those are areas of opportunity for you to begin to grow spiritually and in understanding. So I want to recommend those to you as well. So, okay, with all that said, let's get back to where we left off last Sunday morning. Um, We had this statement, and here's the statement that we made. There's three, the three P's, presently, purposed, and pursuit. Here's the statement. Presently, God has revealed his glory to his church through Jesus Christ. And what do we say the church is? The church is a group of people who are beholding the glory of God in Jesus Christ. That, is what a, that defines a Christian that you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right? Tasted and seen and want more. So presently, God has revealed His glory to the church through Jesus Christ for a purpose. For the purpose of manifesting that glory and spreading the knowledge of that glory throughout the world. And today we're going to hit on that in John chapter 4. And what and how, and then as we continue to move forward that that is going to take place through the church's pursuit of God's present glory. His present glory is here now through the gospel of Jesus Christ revealed to us in the giving of his spirit. He indwells this place now, now in this moment as we the body of Christ is the temple of God where He dwells, His present glory. And today we're going to understand the purpose of giving that glory, of making us a temple. Before we get to John 4, I I want us to lay out quickly that purpose the purpose of God revealing his glory to us and here it is he's shown himself to us through the gospel of Jesus Christ number one that we might worship him now you can see the connection to John 4 that we might worship him and the second thing the second purpose of God revealing his glory to the church revealing who he is is so that not only the church in their gathering will worship God, but will be the source for which people obtain salvation. I'm going to say that one again. And it can be a little confusing, especially as we think about the Protestant Reformation, because the Roman Catholic Church says you can only be saved through the church, but they meant it in some really weird ways that we talked about last night at, at, um, at our festival. But what I want you to understand is that God has revealed himself through Christ, given us the gospel, which we are to know and guard and keep and share, so that salvation can be obtained through that very thing that we have, the gospel of Jesus Christ. So to worship is our purpose, and then to be the source, the source that salvation is to be obtained. Just like a well is the source of life. Why? Because it has life in it, the water. The church is the source to living life. Why? Because Christ is here. The gospel is here. So that that is the purpose that we're going to build upon over the next couple weeks. Worship and the source 
to obtain from which to obtain salvation. Now we could think that's Christianity. That's the point of Christianity to worship God and for people to be saved and then brought in to do what? Worship God. So that that is that is the purpose of Christianity. That is the purpose of the church. But here's the thing. What about in this place? We are a physical representation of those things. Let's say you have a friend and they come to you and they, they're curious about Christianity. They want to know about Jesus. They're like, what exactly is this all about? Now, number one, I hope this series will help you explain that. But number two, if you are lost in words, here's what I hope we as Ozarks Bible Church can do for that person. When they walk in on a Sunday morning and they see what we do within this hour and a half, they know what Christianity is about. Because what did they see? They see worship. They see people before the living God. They hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right? So they come in. When someone enters in the church, they should know what Christianity now they're not they might not have an understanding, a salvific understanding, but they should be able to walk away and say what we are about. I don't know if I if I'm ahead of myself here or not, but there's a spot in First Corinthians. First Corinthians um, fourteen don't go there. We'll we'll look at it later, more than likely. I'll just let you know what he says. Paul's given instruction to the church at Corinth about proper worship in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. If you're familiar with it, you know what I'm talking about. And he gives a hypothetical at the end of uh, 14, I believe. He gives a hypothetical and says, if someone walks in to Corinth, the church at Corinth, and sees them worshiping how God intends, here's what he says is going to happen. If an unbeliever or an outside enters, he is convicted by all, he is called to account by all, and the secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so, falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. There is the purpose of the present glory of God in a gathering people in Jesus Christ. That is the purpose. The purpose of the gathered church is to worship and to be the source for others to come in salvifically to be saved and to worship with them. I want you to write this down and meditate on it this week. The purpose of the gathered church, number one, is to worship God. And number two... Be the source from which salvation is to be obtained. To worship God and to be the source from which salvation is to be obtained. Meditate on that this week. Now, the, que- the question I want to put before you and the question that we will answer over the next few weeks is, what does that look like? Well, I'll tell you the easiest way to approach that. Number one, the right preaching of the Word of God. And number two, the right practice of the ordinance of Jesus, baptism and the Lord's Supper. At bare minimum, that is all it takes to be a church for the glory of God. You need nothing else. This building can blow away. And we can do that very thing. We could lose every bit of money. And we could still do those things. Right? We, we don't need anything to be obedient. To be the church to the glory of God. Now to me, and I hope to you, that should free you. That should unburden you. It should just be like, okay, that that's we can do that. We don't need to have 
a big building. We don't need to have a large large, uh, bank account. We don't need any of that. We need this and the Spirit of God. That's it. That's what He has left us to be the church. The Word of God and the Spirit of God. And He has shown us that we ought to do baptism and the Lord's Supper as a visible representation of not of giving new life, baptism, and then keeping us fed the Lord's Supper. Now, we'll, we'll come more to that in weeks ahead. Um, so let's look at John 14, or John 4, excuse me. Because what I want to do in John 4, and it'll take this morning and this evening, is to understand more about worship. Because worship is our purpose. Worship is exalting the glory of God. Worship is what we've been created to do and then what we have been redeemed to do. Let's start at verse 19. I'm sure we're all familiar with the story. Jesus had the conversation with the woman uh, talking about the water, talking about the well. Um, Jesus is making some, some hints that he isn't just a normal man. And then verse 19, she's starting to pick up on it, especially after he has told her about her past life with her multiple husbands. And in verse 19, she says to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. She's beginning to realize this isn't a normal Jew. Now, now we have to understand this is a conversation between a Jew, Jesus, and a Samaritan who is half a Jew. Okay, we'll just leave it at that, basically. Uh, she begins that he is not to realize he's not a normal Jew uh, by the way he speaks, by the words he says, and the knowledge that he has. And then in verse 20, she says to him, she trusts, it seems like she's trying to, okay, I gotta, I gotta up my game here a little bit now that I realize he's more than just a normal man. Our fathers, she says, worshipped on this mountain. But you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. So I got ahead of myself, and I want you to understand the first thing that we can know about worship as a church is its place. Its place. Its physical place. Alright, and this is the discussion she begins to have. And it's as if she's having worship, it's as if she's looking at the worship wars of the time of Jesus. Now we have our own worship wars these days. Do we like contemporary music, old music? Do we like this? Do we like this kind of lighting, that kind of lighting? People get mad and upset and have their opinions and their convictions. But what I want you to understand is her frame of mind, and that is is that we've got different opinions and convictions in how we ought to worship, and it's almost as if she's good with it. She goes, we worship on this mountain, or our father, she said, worshiped on this mountain. But you, as a Jew, say that Jerusalem is the place that it needs to be done. Jew versus Samaritan. So if you've got, understand that, uh, say Israel's like this, and you've got Judah, where Jerusalem is. And then up here, where we've been in Matthew, Galilee is up here at the top. And in the middle is Samaria. Where, so Jesus would have to walk through to get from Gal- Galilee to Jerusalem. He'd have to walk through Samaria. All right, And so this is how the way he's encountered this woman at the well is he's got to this mountain in Samaria. And she's, he's having this engagement with her. Well, Mount uh, Gerizim, I believe is what it's called, is there in Samaria. right? And Mount Gerizim is a significant place of the patristic fathers, the, uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There are many things that happened in and around that mountain, but also there are some significant things that happened to Israel and Moses as they were going to cross into the Jordan there at this mountain. The Samaritans, who again are half Jew, part Jew, decided that their place of worship would be Mount Gerizim. There they would offer sacrifices. This was their place of worship. Now, at the same time, the Jews 
most going to be in Galilee and also in Judea, continue to observe the place of worship that God has designated on Mount Zion, which is in Jerusalem. The temple was in Jerusalem, the temple that God had Solomon build. The high priest that came after Aaron served in that temple. Jews would pilgrim pilgrimage to that temple at least once a year in order to sacrifice, in order to worship God. But here's what we've got to understand when we think about worship. In any situation or any condition, there's only one opinion that matters. One. And that's God's. And at, at this time, there was only one correct place to worship God in the way he commanded. See, I want you to understand. This woman said, our fathers worshiped there. We know that some great things had happened there. So we're going to choose this great place, which was a good, which was a, a sacred place. We're going to choose it as our place of worship. The only problem is, is that God said, no. You're to worship in Jerusalem. So there was no opinion or conviction or we like it this way. There was only one place that mattered. And Jesus would say later in verse 22, which we'll get to in a little bit, he'll say that salvation is from the Jews. And what he ultimately means is that the Jews, Israel, received the word of God, the instructions of God on how to worship. Now look at verse 21. Jesus responds, he said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the father. So currently the Jews have it right, but he's saying things are about to change. Things are about to change. Hours coming when you will worship neither on this mountain or in Jerusalem. There will be. No one place where God's people across the world must go to worship. Understand, in the Old Covenant, there was one designated place of worship. Jerusalem. That was it. That is where, get this, the glory of God was to dwell. In Jerusalem. In the temple. In the holy of holies. The glory of God, he says, Jesus what Jesus is saying, no there's not going to be just one place to worship because number one the glory of God will not be confined to one room. What room was that? The holy of holies, the most holy place in the temple, right? From from his design of the tent of meetings and the tabernacle God had one place that he dwelt among his people, and that was in the Holy of Holies, this inter, inner room within the temple. No longer was that going to be the case. Now, if you're a first-time reader of John 4, you don't really get that. You don't understand that. But by the grace of God, we know what Christ has done. We know that <clears throat> there would no longer be one priest one room, one time a year that is granted the privilege into the presence of God in the Holy of Holies. We read this in Hebrews 10 in our call to worship. But every believer is now in Christ granted access to the Holy of Holies, the presence of God. Those who have been covered by the blood of Christ, not the blood of bulls and goats. And that's where we read, that's, that's the theme of Hebrews 7, 8, 9, and 10. But here's what we have to understand. That change did not mean that going somewhere to worship ceased. Just because there would no longer be one place in, the, in all of creation, there would no longer be that one place to worship, did not mean, because understand, they traveled to this place. They traveled to Jerusalem to worship, to sacrifice. That does not mean that people are no longer to travel to a place to worship God. Sometimes we Christians on this side of the new covenant think that our individual access to God 
decreases the necessity of going and worshiping together. We can't think that way. That's not what this had in mind. This isn't, well, now that I can worship, I can worship by myself, or even maybe with my family where two or more gathered in my name. No, no, that's not the point Jesus was trying to make. Jesus was trying to say to us that We don't have to go to Jerusalem to worship, but as we come together, the presence of God dwells with us. At the end of that section in Hebrews 10, after we see how we've been given access, maybe we should look at this one. Go to Hebrews 10, because we didn't read this. This really jumped out to me as I was thinking through this. So when you look at Hebrews 10, 19, 20, and 21, and 22, what do you see? You see you now have access to the Holy of Holies, right? Through the new and living way that has opened us through the curtain. The, the curtain that separated the Holy of Holies from everybody else, what happened to it? Come on. Torn in two. New and living way. Torn in two, it was opened through the flesh of Christ when he was crucified. We have access, so we should draw near. And you're thinking, yeah, I'm going to have church at home. Well, look at verse 24. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as in the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. It is implied, it's not completely explicit, but it is implied over and over and over again that the true worship of God for the new Christian saints is together. Is together. What is that? That's a body. That's a family. Paul giving instruction to the church at Corinth as he's talking in 12, 13, and 14 as we looked at earlier. He says to them, when you come together. When you come together. And he had began that whole section helping them to see that they are members one of another. And it was the reflex of the first Christians. Of the first Christians in Acts 2 to come together. To come together. Now, let's go back to verse 21, back in John 4. Jesus says something, and I, I, I think he was trying to use his language to correct her language. Verse, at, verse, at verse 20, she says this. She's already mentioned the fathers or her father Jacob, right? She's already made reference to them. But in verse 20... She says, our fathers worshipped on this mountain. I'm going to make sure I, this is clear, this sort of educational point. When I say Samaritan is, a, is a, a part Jew, I mean they were Jewish people who intermarried with, um, help me out. Huh? Samarians. I, when, they, when they got conquered, when Israel, uh, northern Israel got conquered... They they inter they intermarried with Gentiles outside of uh, of the the line of Abraham, and so they became known as I probably didn't say all that right, but understand, even though they're called Samaritans, they still are ancestors of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so when she says our fathers worshipped on this mountain, she's not wrong. Abraham and Jacob for sure built altars around this mountain. But that was before God had revealed that in, in Exodus and in, in, uh, Leviticus and Deuteronomy, that when they were to go somewhere, that they were going to play, make a place, and then he would eventually name it Jerusalem. And so she says, our fathers worshipped on this mountain. But Jesus says in, her, in his response to her, when he says, not, and it's not going to be either mountain, he says, on neither mountain will you worship the Father. 
I don't think that's an accident. I, I, I think he's saying, okay, you keep talking about our fathers in an earthly sense, but here's what I want you to understand. This is all about the Father, our heavenly Father. It's as if she's saying, well, that's just the way Daddy did it. Isn't it? She's, she, it, 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 she's making a case for traditionalism. She's saying this is what they did, so this is what we do. Or this is how it's been done around here. But, uh, Jesus says, no, 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 no. You don't do it the way it's been done if it's contrary to what the Father says, which it was. They were out of, they were disobedient in how they worshipped. And, and tradition is not bad. I love tradition. Um, as long as it lines up with Scripture, right? If If our fathers did it because... The Father told them to, and Hallelujah. Let's. We we could. There's probably quite a bit of that we could grab back onto. When when we when it becomes about traditionalism, it's more about the way the old timers taught us to do it. But what we want to understand is, what, what say Him who created time. Tradition has its place and it's good, as long as it's founded in scripture um if we cannot make a biblical argument for the things that we do here in here because understand this our with our main goal our main calling our main purpose being to worship god if we cannot draw a line back to saying this this helps us fulfill our purpose then we need to scratch it we need to figure out why we do it the way we do. We must be able to make a biblical argument for anything we do, any tradition we have. To not take stock of our tradition, not to weigh them into Scripture, will cause a church to become a bloated, cold, and eventually dead church. Sometimes the doors shut and sometimes they stay open and they just continue to operate, but as a whitewashed tomb. Beautiful on the outside, but dead on the inside. That's when you do things, because that's just what you do. So, we must understand, there's no place in all the world that God must be worshipped. But through the gospel, he will be worshipped all throughout the world. You see that? As... The waters cover the sea. This is our purpose. This is our purpose. The present glory of God spreading across the earth through local churches, local places of worship all throughout the world. Now, as our final point as we finish this morning is the way of worship. And we're going to get halfway through this one more than likely. The way of worship. So we just talked about the place of worship. Now the way of worship. Verse 22 through 24. Let's read those. 22 through 24. Jesus continues. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship spirit and truth. Now I want to jump out a step here and I want everyone to focus their attention on the last phrase of verse 23. Now if you were here Sunday night, last Sunday night, the whole purpose, I wish the whole purpose, I could have just summed all this up with this last phrase last Sunday night. When we were trying to distinguish what God was doing in all of history, 
This is what he was doing. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. You want to understand why God saves? You want to understand why he's building a church? You want to understand why he does anything? Because he is building a kingdom of people who will worship him for eternity. That. <laughs> now imagine imagine someone doing that on earth. A person wanting to build a kingdom so that they could be worshipped. What a prideful, arrogant, egotistic person. What's the difference between that person and God? Everything. Absolutely everything. Remember his glory? His glory is the manifestation of his uh, manifestation of the value of who he is inside. And what is he inside? He's infinitely perfect. And so he can do whatever he wants. Because whatever he does is infinitely perfect. And beyond anything that we could understand. And he is seeking to find worshipers. That is what he's doing. Now, I want... Think about worship for a second, because you say it, you say it, and you say it, and we got to understand it. There's two types of worship, and only one way to do it. Okay? Write that down. Two types of worship, only one way to do it. Um, what I don't mean is that there are multiple ways to worship, like the woman, the woman is saying, "Oh, you do it your way, we do it our way." No, what I mean is there's two types. But there's only one way, and I'll help you understand what I'm talking about. There's two prominent Greek words that's used in the New Testament when we refer to worship. And the first one is proskuno. Proskuno sounds a lot close to prostrate. And to prostrate is to lay down. But the word... (laughs) The Greek word for this, this Greek word actually is a compound word that means to be down like a dog. Literally, down like a dog. (laughs) What is a submissive position of a dog? You're having a time with it and then it finally sits down and then looks up and it lays down. You know that that dog has submitted to you. That is this aspect of worship. Understanding that you must humble yourself and submit. But it's more than just a, it's just more than a decision that you're going to do. But it's an inward affection that says, I must lower myself. I have to. I must lower myself physically. I must change my position. I must kneel. I must get to the floor. I must bow my head. I can even lift my hands. Because when you lift your hands, what are you doing? You're exalting him whom you're lifting your hands to. Proskuno is a position of humility and submission to lower yourself in reverence before him whom you desire to exalt. It's interesting. That word's not really used in the epistles. None of Paul, hardly any of Paul's letters have that word for worship. Um, it's in it's all throughout the Gospels, and then then mainly in Revelation. Uh, there is one exception in Paul's gospel or in Paul's epistles, and that's in First Corinthians 14. And I already told you what it was in First Corinthians 14. When Paul is explaining how an unbeliever will react in the presence of the gathered church worshiping God, what does he say? He says they will proskuno. They will be convicted, called to account, secrets of his heart disclosed. There's something going on inside of him. And what happens? And so, falling on his face, he will proskuno God. He will worship God. God and declare that God is really among you. You see that worship? You see that? The inward 
the inward understanding that God must be above you and you must humbly submit before Him. Now the second word that is used in the New Testament for worship is latrio, to serve, to minister, to do the work of a servant. It's a commitment to obedience and service to the one that you proscuno, that you bow down before. What does that look like? Well, let's just use Jesus' words when he tells them in Matthew 7 that it's a good idea not just to hear his words, but to do them. That would be latrio. That would be worship. To obey all that I have commanded you. Obedience to God's word is worship to God. I'm going to say that again. Obedience to God's word is worship to God. A true worshiper does both. Proscuno and Latrio both prostrates him or herself before God, unworthy of who he is, but then gets up and does as he says. That is true worship. That is what God is after. One who will lay down before him and sing and bow and lift hands and cry and laugh or beat their chest, (coughs) but they will come up out of that humble posture and love their neighbor, put away sexual immorality, love their church family through service, call out sin for the sake of their brother. They will guard the gospel with their brothers and sisters. They will be ready to give a defense for the hope that is in them. That is worship. It's not one or the other. You can't say, I want to just lift my hands. That's my worship. I just want to sing my songs. That's my worship. No, it's false worship if you're not willing to submit and obey to Him as master, as a servant to Him. See, local churches local churches seem to drift to one type or the other. One will say, oh, we've got the best worship, the best songs, the best lighting. It's so good we don't even have to preach the Word. That's wrong. And then there's the ones over here that says, Y'all, we've got the best preaching. We've got the best teaching. Our, we don't really sing a lot. We don't want to do that. We're not a singing church. You can't... You, if, you're, if you're a gathering of people who are beholding the glory of God, you will do both. You will not be able to keep your mouth shut. You will sing praises. You, I'm not saying you got to lift your hands. I'm saying you better be... You better be prostrate before God. But I'm also saying, if you're just only wanting to prostrate before God or sing a song, but you're not willing to actually submit to Him and give yourself up for Him, your songs are nothing. And if you're not, and, and if you're telling me that you're not wanting to sing, you don't really have that feeling, then you're telling me that you're just legalistic. That you're just trying to do in order to please God. We can't be that type of church. A local church that drifts to one type of worship or the other, we can't be that. We cannot allow that to happen. Now, I want you to understand that I'm going to do with all the strength of God to keep that from happening, but I also want you to understand that it is part of your job as well. It is part of your duty and responsibility and privilege as covenant members of Ozark Bible Church. It's a part of your duty to... uh, to to protect the witness of this church, to make sure that we... It's your responsibility to make sure that you hold the elders' feet, the deacons' feet to the fire, to be accountable to uh, to true biblical leadership, the right preaching of the Word, um, to to make sure that we're practicing the ordinances correctly. And you might say, how am I going to do that? Well, when I say so-and-so is going to get baptized next week, do you know what you should be doing? You should be thinking... Hmm. Have I seen any fruit out of that person? And because guess what? You, as the body of Christ, you see the body in, and then you also see them out. We're protecting the glory of the church. That is what we're called to do 
as the body of Christ. We talked about that this morning. So I don't want to go too far. That we're going to speak more into this. This is why. This is why we're. This is why we as a church are congregationalists. Which means Rome doesn't have authority over us. The Pope can't excommunicate anybody in here. We don't even think. We don't even think I have the power to do that. I cannot kick anybody out. That it goes against Scripture. But we as the body of Christ, we, we hold one another accountable. We say, you know what, so-and-so, you're not acting in your profession of faith. You're not acting as if you're someone who desires to follow Christ in obedience all the days of your life. I don't want to keep going. That's not where I wanted to go. That's where we'll, we'll touch on this more as we come. The kind of church that neglects all of this is a church that has a hard time proclaiming Ephesians 3.21, to him be glory in the church. Instead, that kind of church will have their lampstand blown out. Revelation. That kind of church will not be saying to him be glory in the church, but they will point and say the glory of the Lord has departed. Now I want to finish because we got to stop here. I want to tell you a story about a baby named Ichabod. Samuel was Eli was the prophet in 1 Samuel. As 1 Samuel opens up. Eli was the prophet. He had sons who were priests. They were crooked. They took the fatted meat that was not for them. They made sure that the meat that they got that was supposed to be boiled got roasted and was tasty. They took advantage of women in the temple. And Eli said nothing. God, through Samuel, told Eli... It's not going to end well for you, your sons, or Israel because of your neglect of the glory of God and the worship of God. God kept his word. The Philistines attacked. They killed Eli's sons. They stole the Ark of the Covenant, which held the Ten Commandments, which was the dwelling place of God, where the glory of God hovered. The news came to Eli. Eli, sitting on a fence or something, heard it, was in shock, and he fell. And he, something we don't, under, we don't pick up, he was so fat because of all the choice meat that he ate that his sons brought him, that he died when he fell. But there was a baby being born that day. I don't know if it was that day, but right around the time. It was one of Eli's sons. His daughter-in-law was pregnant, and when she heard the news that the, that the ark had been stolen, not that her husband... And her brother-in-law and her father-in-law had died, but that the glory of God had been taken out of Israel. She went into labor and had her baby, and she called it Ichabod. The glory of God has departed. We cannot let that happen here. We, see this isn't an individualistic religion Christianity isn't about me, about you. It's about the glory of God in the church doing the purpose of worshiping God until he returns, knowing that his glory and the knowledge of his glory will spread across the entire world like the waters cover the seas. We don't want people to look at us and say, Ichabod, the glory of the Lord has departed.
but we strive for it. We pursue it. And we pursue it in worship. We know the second commandment, right? Don't make idols. But do we know what else it says? You shall not bow down to them or serve them. The second commandment tells us what worship is. Proscuno and Latrio. Do not prostrate yourself before anybody or serve anybody but the God of this universe. No one else. It says, for he is a jealous God. Our worship, our bowing down, our obedience and service is to God and God alone. God the Father. And we've been able to do this because of the life and death and resurrection of God the Son. And we're equipped and enabled to do it because of God the Spirit that now dwells in us. This evening we'll come together and we'll look at spirit and truth. And we'll see the gospel proclaimed in John 4. The gospel that brings us to worship. Let's pray. Lord, we believe, help our unbelief. Lord, we've fallen short of your glory. Thanks be to God. That righteousness has been made, made, made known apart from the law and has been made known in Jesus Christ. Help us in our purpose and pursuit of your glory as a body. Teach us to worship as a body. Let us feel the weight of your glory. Let us see the blinding light of who you are. For your glorious sake, to the praise of your glorious grace. Amen. Let's stand and sing hymn 407. It is well with my soul. 407.